If only life had a remote control, you could pause or rewind. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but pre-diabetes does. Take the one-minute risk test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Coming up on the Money Beat podcast, energy sector stocks. You would think that those companies that have a lot of trouble issuing stock, you would be surprised. And Apple versus the FBI. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Everything you need to know about money and the markets, and then some. Now, from New York, Financial Food Fight. Welcome to the Friday Food Fight. Paul Vina, Stephen Grosser, Barron's Jack Otter, and Ryan December with us today. And look, look I'm not going to lie to you folks because you are loyal listeners and, and we are we appreciate your, your patronage, and we respect you as, as listeners, as viewers, and as friends of the podcast. We're not going to lie to you today. It. Yeah, We're, We really put this thing together. Uh, this has been a tough one today. This has been a complete, this is a Murphy's Law day without a doubt. We've been having some hardware issues here in the studio. Uh, we literally grabbed Ryan. Ryan had his coat on and was going outside to get lunch. And we were we were looking for some some topics, something we could uh, scrap it up about. And Ryan says, "Hey, uh, how about this thing that we're about to talk about?" And we said, "Great, take your coat off. You're coming upstairs with us." Uh, so, Ryan, how are you? I don't think we've had you on the podcast yet, have we? No, this is my first time. Uh, a little closer to the, to the microphone. This is my first time. There you see? go. That's I didn't even it. know how to. Yeah, yeah. Close how to do it. There, right? there you yeah. go. There you go. Perfect. Beautiful. Uh, so, anyhow, so today's the food fight. Look, it's it's been a really weird week. You you had a rally. You had a rally that was really fierce that now seems to have completely ebbed off. You have the Apple Apple versus FBI fight, which is just, you know, off the charts surreal in a lot of ways and extremely important, really. And then you have the energy sector, which, again, is just – look, we know energy is important. We know it matters. Grocer and I, you know, I'm working on that post-grocer, and we're going back and forth about how much uh, the oil market is leading the stock market, and I'm writing it one way, and Grocer, you know, we're going back and forth about it. Uh, a lot going on here, but Ryan has a very interesting little – look at you, brought your notes. Yeah, I tell you, the guy did – everybody, appreciate what Ryan December is about to present here, because this guy quickly brought this all together. Uh, the goal is maybe to get him to talk. <laughs> <laughs> Murphy's Law. See Murphy's Law. I'm talking too much. Uh, Ryan, is this a sign of the bottom, what you're about to present to us well, I in think, the energy sector? Yeah, I think people, investors are are hoping it will be. There's there's a lot of things at play here, and this is something we've been tracking for um, a little over a year. It started right around the time uh, Thanksgiving 2014 when OPEC kind of uh, really roiled the oil markets. Um and then sort of counterintuitively, we spent 2015 and, and the back end of the, the very end of 2014 writing about oil and gas producers selling stock um, in, in follow-on offerings. So these are already listed companies that sell new shares um, in, in big block offerings. Record year last year, like some $18 billion from U.S. and Canadian companies. Those trades, not uniformly, but they, they have not panned out well for the people who bought them. Um, Gee, there's a shock. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. As of yesterday's close, they, the the 18 billion or whatever it is so, yeah, is they down issued seven billion in shares, new shares last year. That's the offering price yeah. face value. Yeah, and and uh, they're down seven point two since yeah. then. 
Yeah, and I think there were like there's like literally like five that are up or at their offering price. Why were people buying them? I mean, why were they able to do that in a year that was so uniformly awful for energy? Investment bankers are persuasive, right? But with oil falling, why were the capital markets? I mean, and everyone talking bankruptcy yeah. with these companies. Why were those capital markets open? Well, there were kind of like refinance? there were kind of like two phases, and the first phase was early in the year when oil was pretty low, and then it seemed to have hit a bottom, or so people thought. They they bought a lot of shares. A few very kind of well run, well respected companies got off offerings, and the stocks rose, and so other companies saw an opportunity. It was this whole frenzy of deals uh, around this time last year, and it worked for a little bit. And then, of course, oil prices stopped going up and fell again by, I think, July, really fell off a cliff. And then in the back half of the year, really the only companies that could sell stock were like the kind of darlings of stock market. These are companies that, you know, up or down, they're able to kind of do whatever they want. You Mostly companies that operate in the Permian Basin, which where you can – you know, make a few dollars. And in, we're in, tell, in tell our, that's West Texas. We, so that's we, Friday we have Night the Lights. Most educated uh, reader, yeah. listenership in the world, but Th- that's Midland, not everybody. Midland, would know, Odessa, yeah. Friday Night Lights. That's where um, that that's where oil can be gotten out of the ground at, at pretty much the lowest price in the in the U.S. Hmm. Um, so companies there have fared much better than 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 others. Um, and then it kind of died down, and and this year we've seen some really big companies. Last year was a lot of smaller companies who were trying to pay down debt um, under the threat of their bank loans being reduced. Um, you know, just generally trying to tidy up their balance sheets. Some did it to cover the cost of acquisitions. Kind of the strong getting stronger. Um, this year there's been big companies: Hess, Pioneer, Devon just did one yesterday. Um, and some of them don't really need the money, um, and they're they're kind of taking advantage to kind of protect themselves down the road in case this prolongs because, you know, they may not add debt, but if their revenue or their EBITDA declines, their, their reserves shrink, and they're not replacing those reserves, then their funding and their, their credit metrics get all out of whack, and that puts pressure on them. So you've got companies now that are doing it to kind of stay in the good graces of Moody's and S&P um, to just otherwise kind of gird themselves for the year ahead. And how much did you say? Well, you didn't say how much they've raised so far this Yeah, year? so far, uh, EQT, a, a Pittsburgh natural gas producer, just just sold, I think, 400, 450 million of shares this morning. We're at like, call it $5.5 billion probably, that ballpark. Which is ahead of the pace from last year. Yeah. Which was a record year. Itself. A record by far, yeah. One of the one, I was just going to get to one of the interesting things I found in your story was the sort of notion too that it wasn't that long ago that these companies were buying back shares. Yeah, and now they're the very extreme example is probably Hess, and um, we have I have to give David Faber over at CNBC a um, hat tip on this because I think he was the first to to run the math uh, when Hess. I think it was like last week or just very recently sold. I think it was like twenty five million shares at like thirty nine forty dollars a share. The irony of this is that 2014, under pressure from activists, they spent uh, a good part of the year buying back their stock at about twice that price in the 80s. Um, so not a good trade. No, not a good <laughs> trade. And um, surely, uh, you know, they would have liked it to go different. But it, it shows kind of the dire situation these companies have found themselves in, where they're willing to to sell low. And keep in mind, the CEOs and the board members who are doing this are big big shareholders themselves. So. They're not only diluting other shareholders, 
they're diluting themselves, so they're really taking the medicine, so to speak. Now, earlier this week, Deloitte was out with a sort of report saying that, like, you know, they're expecting a wave. You know, we've, they've been talking about this for a while, a wave of bankruptcy with right. energy producers. And they're saying that we're sort of getting to that really critical point at this because the options of, like, tapping the capital markets, um, they said were, it was running out, but also asset sales, cost cutting. Like, they're, they're basically right. getting penned in. But I mean, it, it seems to say it seems to what your story says with five billion raised so far this year that the capital markets are still open to at least the top energy producers or the the healthiest. Yeah. The stock market's clearly picking favorites, and and I wouldn't be surprised when prices turn around that we look back and these companies that were able to kind of repeatedly go or go and scale to the to to shareholders and raise money will be the ones that come out very strong. Just this morning, a very formerly very large producer called uh, Ultra that, that drills from natural gas in the Rockies uh, came out. They said they lost like three-some billion in the fourth quarter. They hired restructuring advisors. They drew down their, their revolver. That's like the opening salvo in a bankruptcy situation. That was like a, that was a very large company just a few years ago. So that's that's probably the biggest company that's, that's kind of faltered so far. But yeah, it's getting to that point where not the bottom of the barrel is suffering, but you know, larger companies are starting to really get pinched now. Here's my 10-second analysis. The bond market guys are much better at math than the stock market guys. <laughs> so when your company is in bad shape and you need money, you don't go to the bond market because they'll look at your cash flow and say, he can't meet this commitment in three years. Right. But the stock jockeys are like, woohoo, energy shares, get my dividend. Yeah. And look, when you're scraping the bottom of the barrel, it's one thing. When you're scraping the bottom of the oil barrel <laughs> at this point in time, that is that is something else. I think the old saying is you can't solve a debt problem with more debt, right? So, no, one, no, no, no one believes that <laughs> no anymore. One be- okay, yeah. All right, uh, let's take a break. We'll be back on the other side. Hi, this is Veronica Dagger. Catch me midweek every week on Watching Your Wealth, where you learn all you need to know about building your wealth and protecting your money. Check us out at wsj.com slash podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at WSJ Podcasts and become a subscriber on iTunes. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, Financial Food Fight. Welcome back, Paul Vigna, Stephen Grosser, Jack Otter, and Ryan December. Welcome to what is this morning, the number 12 podcast in investing on iTunes. Thank you, everyone, for making us number 12. Number 12, Grosser. Number 12 is great, right? It's wonderful. It's one- And we are, we are 49th in business overall on iTunes. That's pretty good. And look- we're not we're not Dave Ramsey, Tim Ferriss areas yet, but we don't care about them. What we care about, everyone out there, is that we stay we stay ahead of herd on the street. <laughs> That's what we care about. There's 61 this morning. 61 is nice. That's nice for those guys yeah. over herd. It's not 49. No. It's not 49. And 49 would be pretty good if this were the South Carolina primary. You know, that's sort of in the upper half. That's of the in the upper half, yeah. right. Yeah, so so there's something for you. So anyhow, we are very happy to be 12 and 49, and we're very happy to have you here. And and Jack Otter, I want to get your take on what – this is an important issue, but what you say is a very simple issue, uh, <laughs> Apple versus the FBI. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's simple, but I, I do think on it, one of its many tentacles comes down to a simple question, yeah, okay. which is do you think that – when it comes down to it, you go with the right to privacy that Tim Cook is standing up for and saying, no, government, you can't unlock. You're not, you're not going to force us to unlock mm-hmm. these phones. Or do you go with the 
call it the Chris Christie FBI, you know, district attorney argument. Um, this is a terrorist's phone uh, to protect the people. We need to go into it. You might compare it to a, a vault, you know, and, and, yeah. and you've got a criminal. He's got a vault. You go to the judge. You get an order. You break open the vault. You find out what's inside. That. To me, that's where I come down, but I have great respect for the libertarian argument. Um, I was chatting with Maria Bartiromo this morning, and she has a very interesting theory. Oh, because you were on her show this morning, Yeah, right? exactly. Do you do that every Friday? I do it every Friday, yeah, every six Friday. to nine. Wow. Um, so, Maria, that's your warm-up, right? No exactly, offense, yeah. Maria. Just, yeah. And then you come over to us. Yeah, she's number right, 50, right. I think, Is on she, the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay, you know, Just okay. behind us. Anyway, um, so her theory is that Cook is actually doing this as a PR stunt to send a message to China and Russia, hey, the government, the U.S. government doesn't control me. I stand up. And my addendum to that is if you are a Chinese or Russian citizen, that's going to be really good news to know that the government can't get into your phone. Mm. I mean, it's one thing in the U.S. of A. where we're talking about uh, a dead terrorist. I mean, I don't think we have to use alleged in this case. Um, in China and Russia, hey, you're, you're, you live there. They might right. go into your phone. The, the, the one thing I think is interesting is that the one thing the one thing this story is clearly not about is just that one phone. Right. This is not about unlocking one phone. This is about governments having access to all fo- not just Apple phones, Android phones, whoever makes well, them. I mean, th- they, they're th- talking about building a back door. Exactly. And, or, you know, a trap door or whatever you want to call it. And, and, and that's actually something that. You know, a lot of software companies have historically built, and one of the reasons why a lot of you know foreign governments have entrusted using you know software from you know uh, U.S. Uh, software makers. In fact, in earlier versions of the iOS operating system, you could do this. Yeah. Right. It's the newest one that you can't. Right. Right. I mean, not to get up on my like soapbox and sort of. This isn't just related. That, that's what the Friday food right. fight is all about, and Steve it's not related Wilson. necessarily just to this case. I mean, this is just a general principle that I think we've lived in since, you know, you know, sort of nine eleven. And it's like, you know, what makes us all Americans is not, you know, we're not, you know, one nationality. What you know, we're it's a principles. It's the Constitution. It's the Bill of Rights. It's all those things. That's what makes mm-hmm. us and combines us Americans. And if you start stripping away those things. You know, what are you really left with? What, you know, sort of binds us? And I, and I think that's a really important principle um, that we, you know, we always, you know, we need to keep in mind. I mean, yeah. in fact, you know, uh, this is what is, is under, actually under attack. Yeah. I, look, this is going to end up at the Supreme Court. I, there is absolutely no doubt this ends up at the Supreme Court. I, I mean, this is, to your point, Grosser, this is a, a huge issue that goes to the very heart of, of what we are. And, and I don't know where it's going to fall. And then you get a 4-4 decision. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Well, maybe. maybe. No, no. I mean, by the time it got there, we'd have a, right. we'd have a nice The, the one thing I thought was interesting is, and, you know, I'm not trying to say that Tim, Tim Cook doesn't mean what he says, but on the one hand, he, he almost has to do this. Whether or not Apple expects to win this fight, they, they almost have to do it. They have to at least put up the fight. Right. So to some extent— There's no loss, really, for him, I think, in putting right, up the fight. Right, right. There's a huge loss in not putting up the fight. Uh, yeah. I mean, you roll over, you're sending a message to everyone overseas, like you said. So, And here. I mean, think oh, about how yeah. big privacy right. issues here right. and how much of the utter PR nightmare it's been for a lot right. of these you know, phone companies and tech companies and stuff like that. I mean, you know, it is a PR you know, nightmare around the world for you know, any company if they get sort of seem like they're being in bed with the U.S. Yeah. government and 
giving away secret. If it wasn't for Snowden, this probably never be an issue. Yeah, right. But yeah. I think, yeah, to the, I mean, sort of to that point is I, I was kind of surprised. It was like one of those things, maybe I'm naive, but I was like, oh, they can't do that? Like, <laughs> you know, like, right. I just assumed, like, you know, when you, you, you know, that you see the guys coming out of somebody's apartment with the computer and everything and they crack into it and they can get into all your files no matter what. It, I mean, sometimes I'm surprised I look at my laptop at home and it's like, why are my text messages popping up? What ha-? You know, and you have to change something and you're like, <laughs> right. you, you realize all these things are connected. And, and I think maybe at a certain point, maybe I'm not a majority, but I just thought that like, well, there's no secrets anymore. There couldn't possibly be any secrets right. anymore. Right. So to kind of find out that there sort of are was, it's kind of surprising to me. Yeah. And I'm sure probably there's got to be other people, right? Oh, without a doubt. All right. Uh, let's take one more quick break. Is we'll that why back. you have that old to... uh, flip phone, Paul? So that they can <laughs> yeah, get into it's it? it's my burner. It's my burner phone. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> he gets a new one every day. He gets a new one every day. Right, right. All right. Let's take one more quick Yeah, I do have, a, I have an old flip phone, folks. Uh, let's take a quick break, and we'll come back on the other side. If only life had a remote control, you could pause or rewind. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but pre-diabetes does. Take the one-minute risk test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Hi, this is Jason Gay, and I have a podcast called Free For All. It's not just sports. We'll also talk about some music, some culture, some fashion. I could talk about fashion. Become a subscriber on iTunes and check us out at wsj.com slash podcast. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, financial food fight. All right, let's do a a quick round robin here, folks. We're going to give you our one takeaway on the capital markets. Stephen Grosser. Give me one. <laughs> I'm going to probably caveat this to the point where it's like- You don't have time to caveat, man. You only have time for a strong opinion. Yeah, I think we're sort of in a, like a wait and kind of see pause. You know, I, I think we'll still be experiencing maybe not as great a volatility as we've seen or, you know, at the start of the year, but you know, we'll still see a lot of volatility um, in the coming weeks. But I think we're waiting to see where the economy is. Um, over the next few weeks, especially, you know, leading into the, you know, March meeting of the Fed. And I think, you know, that will sort of determine where we go for the rest of the year. Okay. Jack Otter, give me a takeaway. I always tell people not to listen to people like me saying these things. Uh, my crystal ball is cloudy, but I do think... Don't say that. We're number 12 in <laughs> investing. Uh, I want to keep it honest. Uh, we, I think that we, we will have uh, a further down leg. This was a nice little happy bit of probably short squeezing, maybe oil's going up, yada, yada, yada. But there's a lot of fear out there, yeah. and people are more, I think, these days interested in selling first and asking questions later, uh, which is different from the way it was a year and a half ago. Uh, so I I suspect there's another down leg. Yeah, you know. I, I, I want to say I generally agree with Jack on that more than like, you know, the, the emotions are not, uh, you know, going to be sending us up there. We're still really nervous. Yeah. Uh, what do you think, Ryan? What do you got? I, maybe I know you're a, not a market yeah, guy. You're a well, beat guy. Maybe this is a product of sitting in the money and investing section all day at the Wall Street Journal. But the volatility lately has been, you know, remarkable. But it's been so consistently remarkable that it seems like it's getting... I don't know, boring or, or like, you know, it just, it's like, you know, like, like a boy who cried wolf sort of thing. And that, that seems interesting to me that, that things can be going so haywire, but it becomes kind of normal to go haywire. Yeah. And I just kind of wonder what does that mean in terms of like, 
you know, where does where does new money go? Um, there's been like almost no IPOs to speak of. And, you know, back to oil and gas next week, we expect a uh, interesting IPO to price. It's a blank check company that'll give like $400 million to a guy named Mark Papa. Who, a blank check company? SPAC. Yeah, it's going to be the Spacks biggest IPO back. of the year so far. And it's a blank check to a, a, a guy who used to run a company called EOG Resources, a very well-regarded uh, energy CEO who, uh, you know, wants to go bargain hunting and I think, you know, how that does, you know, there's a little less risk in those because you get your money back if they don't find something to buy that's suitable and all these caveats. But when when that's like the biggest IPO of a, of any period of time, it's kind of head scratching mm-hmm. and kind of bizarre, I, I think. It does feel like the market did, I mean, like after the rally this week and, you know, what happened over the last couple of days, it's sort of. In some ways, it feels like a boxer that sort of punched itself out, and it needs sort of like, you know, a little bit of a rest before I think it's it's going to you know sort of choose a direction. That's all. I think, uh, and I'll show you. I think the Fed waited way too long, way too long to try to normalize rates. I think they have opened a Pandora's box now, and I think you are going to see the market. I don't know exactly when, but it is going to go down, and it's going to go down significantly, and it's going to go down much further than um, anybody thinks. Yeah, but, I'm not saying it's the end of the Paul, world. Paul, I'm not Paul. saying it's the end of the world. I'm saying that this this leg down has a lot more to go than anybody thinks. Paul, Paul but you wanted the Fed to raise rates in uh, you know January of 2009. They so. waited too long. <laughs> Maybe not January 2009, but, you know. Earlier than, than I, December 2015. Our guest a couple weeks ago, Mohammed El Arian, said the same thing, that he felt like they waited too long, that they should have yes. gone in September. But the difference is I really don't feel like you feel like they should have gone in like September. Was, September would have been too well, long for you. you know, okay. Well, hey, look, I'm glad you mentioned that because it reminds me, next week, uh, Satyajit Das, who is an Australian economist, really sharp guy. He's got a book out called The Age of Stagnation. We're going to interview him next week. So keep an eye out for that one. Have a good weekend, everybody, and we will catch up with you again on Monday.